There's an historic battle going on now across the West, in Europe, America, and elsewhere. We have been sold this meme of Islamophobia. Total and complete shutdown. This is all wrong. We have to be able to criticize bad ideas. So you don't believe anything. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that at all. There's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it. Because a lot of people listening to you will just say, I mean, are we going back to the That's because they're actually yeah. not listening. Hi there, and welcome back to Illuminating Taboo. I'm your co-host, Cassandra Bloom, and I'm here with your other co-host, Lucy Barnes. And today we have a very special guest. We are talking religion and anti-theism with none other than the analyzed atheist, also known as Terry. You can find him on Instagram for more. He is unbelievable, unbelievable conversationalist. This is such a great conversation. I'm so excited for you to listen. And uh, that's all the, the interesting things I have to say. <laughs> and before we get started, I have some brief housekeeping, which is something I've always wanted to say since listening to Sam Harris's podcast, considering he says that at the start of every single episode. So we have set up a Patreon account, um, which we would be so happy if you supported us on. This is so that we can actually fund the podcast to make it you know, more the priority of our time so that we can keep serving you with controversial topics and episodes and things like that. And it can literally be like a one-off payment of two pounds or dollars, wherever you are in the world. And it would just mean the world to us so that we can, you know, fund this as much as we want to fund it. Um, Because we're seeing, especially the more and more time goes on, we're noticing that the need for controversial conversations in an honest, safe space is necessary. Um, So that would be, we'd be very grateful for that. Also, for 2021, um, our New Year's resolution as a podcast is to get even more ourselves and even more controversial. So hopefully you've warmed up to us now and our personalities and can see that we're harmless. And we're really excited to get to the nitty gritty of things that people think you cannot talk about. Topics such as cancel culture to the, and um, cultural Marxism and fat shaming and things that, you know, are going to get a little bit controversial. So stay tuned. And without further ado, I bring you atheism so today we have a very exciting guest on the podcast we have terry who's also uh, got an instagram hook analyzed atheist and the subject of today's discussion is going to be all about atheism and particularly as well anti-theism and sort of a spiritual way forward so if you'd like to just sort of give some background to that terry that would be wonderful Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Lucy. Um, I'd have to say that, like, you know, I have had a, a kind of a, a spiritual evolution uh, over the course of my life. I was raised by a fairly liberal family, um, very kind of rational, uh, secular. So I, I wasn't like strongly indoctrinated. So I was kind of had that benefit of the doubt at, at the start. I was always taught to think for myself. We were the type of family that questioned everything at the dinner table. If someone thought someone was wrong about something, they'd get up and get the dictionary or the encyclopedia to prove them wrong. So it turned me into a budding little argument or somebody who loves the debate, but never in a negative or, or, or like a adversarial mean way. Um, I grew up and now still find debate and argument to be kind of exciting and fun, which I have heard had to learn the, the hard way. Uh, is not the way most people feel about argument and debate. Most people feel kind of antagonistic about it. Um, 
So, I mean, I used to go to church with my mom. Uh, my dad never went uh, uh, on like holidays, that sort of thing. And like, uh, I went to youth group when I got to be probably, you know, kind of middle school, going into high school. And, but I was always skeptical of it. I can remember being in bed at night when mom would come in and sometimes she'd say the Lord's prayer with me before I went to sleep. And I can remember lying in bed afterwards going, I don't feel anything. I feel nothing like that. Like I'm just talking to the empty room. And, uh, but I mean, I think one of the clear moments for me was, was when I started to become more kind of, uh, started down the road of being strongly kind of anti-theist. Um, but I mean, only just the first buds of it was when I was at a youth group uh, meeting. And so, I mean, it was one of these, just, in some ways it feels so insidious because you get a bunch of teenagers, teenage boys together or, or teenage boys and girls together. And they, you know, they rent the gymnasium at the local school out, you play sports and then you go and hear the word of the Lord type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's always piggybacking off of some social benefit and, and coming together. But I can remember it was this youth group was being put out by the local Pentecostal uh, church. And uh, he, this, this one time they went there and they said, okay, now we're going to talk about homosexuality today. And as it turns out, not very long before this, my sister uh, had come out of the closet and, um, Though my family was pretty accepting, but I think my mom had the hardest time with it. Most people, mm. most everybody in the family didn't really have a problem with it. When I sat in this youth group and this pastor stood up there and basically told me that, you know, my, you know, it was a sin and that uh, what my sister was doing was wrong and all this kind of stuff. It, I started, to, I, I argued with them. I mean, I didn't get irate or anything, but I, I pushed back and I can't remember exactly what I said at the time, but I can remember feeling so angry and upset that I never went back to a youth group after that night. Um, uh, and, uh, and that sort of kind of started me on the road of becoming just increasingly skeptical of religion. Um, uh, and uh, certainly I would say, I, I don't even know if I would call myself an atheist at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely have always been interested in the edge of science and philosophy and like understanding the universe, what is time, these weird abstract type of questions. Like, so like I've always considered myself to be pretty open-minded about what is there an afterlife? What happens after we die? Like who Mm -hmm. knows? But then as, as I went, like, as I got older and learned more about science and learned more about skepticism and sob and learned more about what we have in the world and what, I mean, what, when we look at North America, Canada and the States, I'm, well, maybe a little less so in the States, but in Canada, it doesn't feel like religion plays a, a huge role. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm. it's not quite as much a public life. And, but when you look at how dominating it is in theocracies like Saudi Arabia or, or, or other, you know, Middle Eastern countries that have, uh, you know, kind of citizens to religion as part of their government, uh, it's really hard to see how it could be a an overall force for good uh, without some pressure from secularism from the outside. No, but, not true. Uh, mm-hmm. but but I mean, so I think. Go ahead. I think the place I see it the most um, in Canada, because I'm my background is in international development. Mm-hmm. That's where it is. That's where when when it's work of international when there's international work and. Uh, and even in their hiring process, they're just like, are you religious? Tell me about that. 
I want to let me talk about the Bible during the interview because all they hire for many large organizations that are super well-funded, you know, like the, the good jobs. Like if you're a humanitarian and you don't work for an organization that's, you know, has a religious, you know, base, then you might be struggling. You might be struggling financially because they pay you not only a living wage, but they pay you like a salary. Like it's the well-paid ones happen to be religious ones and, mm. and they are able to discriminate in the hiring process and only hire people that share that that belief. So I do see it in Canada, even if it's not as common and it's not as it's not built into to the the politics, I'll say, or the the state as much as as much as we think it is, I find it there somewhere, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think as we see now too, with social media and everything, you'll find out there's a lot more of these undercurrents. Like a lot of it is running under, you know what I mean? Like, and I think in Canada too, you know, we, it's, it's a stereotype, but it's also kind of generally true in Canada. You know, we all try to be, to keep this, this slight air of politeness uh, kind of with our public, uh, public uh, discourse. Right. So like, I think that people like, it's kind of uncouth, Oh, you know, like even my dad, who I found it later in life, who's an atheist, kind of told me, Terry, he said, if you want to keep any friends, don't don't harp on religion and politics. You know what <laughs> I mean? That sort of thing. And I'm like, well, you know, I want friends who respect and love me for who I am and my own views, even if we disagree. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to have friends that I have to feel like I have to walk on eggshells around all the time. Right. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. That's why this podcast works so much because I found that friend, you know, oh. but it's true. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Who do you surround yourselves with and are they challenging you? Yeah, definitely. You know? Are you growing? Something that I find Absolutely. really, really interesting about your story, Terry, particularly with your sister, which I just think is so powerful, is sort of the, the evolution into anti-theism as opposed to atheism. I, I guess most people would think that the natural evolution from uh, from Christianity is to go into atheism once you kind of come become more aware. So what, why why the anti-theism? Why would why was that the first sort of point? Was it because of the anger to, towards the institution? Well, or? I mean, like in in some sense, you know, you can be, you know, I, I was both for a while an anti-theist and an atheist because, I mean, the atheist just kind of says to me like or what i'm saying with that is that i just don't see enough evidence to believe in any particular god right you know what i mean so it's just my null hypothesis type of thing but the anti-theism is more of a stronger view on just uh, having a problem with theistic uh ideologies right because you know um particularly monotheistic ones um that like you know uh, put one god above you know the whole the whole world and there's kind of this patriarchal uh you know kind of complex that goes along with it where you're trying to please some yeah i i may be i may be a little flagrant and 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 so so just you know I like to call him the sky daddy, you know, you're, you're worshiping some sky daddy who's, who's, uh, you're, you're bowing down to, and, you know, don't wear mixed fabric and don't, uh, don't eat pork and, you know, just pick your, pick your poison, whatever random view you can, you can pick and, uh, uh, you can, uh, you can see how silly you can get, but, you know, then you've got more serious things like the views on homosexuality from the old Testament. And then you've got, 
and not just that, but in the New Testament too, like when Jesus says, I turn the, the, the family against each other, the mother against the, I don't know, I'm not good at quoting, but I know that there are some issues in the, in, in the New Testament. And, and it, so it comes, anti-theism is really just about saying that it, it can be really difficult to see how specifically, and I mean, we can make platitudes and generalizations about religions being helpful to people, which I think can be, there can be kernels of truth in that. But when you're anti-theist, you say, well, hold on now. Is there actually something about theism, say Christianity or Islam or whatever? Is there anything particular with this form of belief that actually is makes it good or better than anything else? And I, and, I mean, I still kind of feel that, no, I don't think that there is, right? So, I mean, in some ways, I would still consider myself an anti-theist, but I think I'm a lot less strong on that point because – I don't actually think I make many he much headway in changing people's minds or making friends or trying to have an influence by saying, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just against what you believe in full stop. Like, I don't think mm -hmm. that that gets me very far. So um, that's kind of why I've kind of maybe stepped back from that a little more, but certainly anyone who pushes me down to the nuts and bolts of mm -hmm. what I believe is going to find out pretty quickly that I have a serious problem with that type of ideology. Yes. Same here. <laughs> We share that in common. And, and that's I interesting, like Cass, to... because your family is also um, Christian, right? Yes. Um, I'd love to talk, share stories on religion. I was saying it'd be interesting if you, as well, Barnes, gave us some background about your relationship with religion. But my family is, if there is an extreme, they would be considered extremely um, Christian, extremely Christian. I'm talking like devotion several times a week and devotion being like prayer groups where it's just it, you sit it starts with like songs and um and it's I think most of my life I believe because it's beautiful and it was a good way for me to get together with my family my grandmother's actually um quite the minister so we're Christians and and they allow of females to to lead a church which I found super empowering so every argument against like you know it's putting women down I'm like uh-uh the strongest woman I know the one that like this is the kind of grandmother you cannot you know you can't even look at her sideways without hearing about it like she's not afraid of confrontation and she will demand respect like she's just a very a woman that I've come to look up to especially because um, my mom was her exact opposite and I felt this like I felt it in me to have like, Viva la resistance. it was like built into my baby body, you know? And uh, so my, so me and my mom clashed a lot growing up, but when I met my grandmother and I really started to get to know her, she was this strong, powerful woman that commanded a presence. I'm like, that's where I get it from. That's who I'm like, you know? No wonder I don't get along with my mom. Um, so part of that, because she was a minister, part of that was the religion. So I thought like to be yeah. like her, to be, you know, so most of my life and most of my experiences with religion have been positive ones um, in the Christian church because, because I was able to justify, even as a lover of debate like you, Terry, I was able to, to have these debates with people like you that challenged me and, and win mm -hmm. because they weren't really, because of my, yeah, because of the way in which I understood religion for most of my life. Even I went to the youth groups as a teen, like we went to the youth retreats and, and it ended up being a better summer than I, than I would have had the opportunity to mm -hmm. have being, you know, 
raised by a single mother. Like it, it presented me with extra opportunities. I met different people from different like class ranks and it really um, expanded my circle in a there's, beautiful way. Yeah, you there's, so there's there definitely so perks. There's definitely <laughs> positives to religion, but to what extent, and maybe you could answer this one, Terry, is it just a comfort blanket and kind, is a kind of way to ignore the self? Well, I mean, I kind of want to speak to Cass's point. I think it's a really strong point. I think that one thing that, that we, that, I mean, if we have ever any hope, and maybe it's wrong for me to say, but like I, I envision a day where, you know, humans can get together over things that, that are based in fact and they're based in, in common humanity rather than the, like, you know, common belief in, in kind of unbelievable things. Um, because it really, it's about community. Let's be honest. We're all humans. I, I mean, the three of us are reaching, you know, reaching across geography and the ocean to have a conversation this morning. Right. I mean, because we love talking to new people. We love having discussions. We like feeling that togetherness and like, you know, I totally hear, uh, Cass, what you're saying about the sense of community and being together with people and opportunities for that, for young people, I think sadly these days, you know, maybe it's not as accessible. I mean, I mean, religions do, they make these camps, these make these groups so accessible to people, right? And it's so easy. And, and, and I think we need to do a better job as a human community of coming together in a way that doesn't require somebody to say, subscribe to a particular set of beliefs. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. maybe you can, we can come together over, I mean, and we still have those things, right? We have sport and we have like book clubs, like, and we have, like, we have a lot of things we can come together over, but I think that, I don't know if it's because, you know, I think every generation has, you know, kind of to any greater or lesser degree engaged or disengaged youth. And and maybe it's just about how people come up in the family and what they're exposed to. I think there's a lot of that, but Mm. certain, certainly I, I do feel that, those community groups are important and like I think I just wish that maybe there's just a little more doubt and skepticism built into those views like we don't know like a lot of like we don't know what the truth is you know what I mean however this is how we navigate it and we believe this and and you know you're going to encounter some pushback in the world and and but you know really it's up to you and and, and you're not bad or wrong and we're not going to cast you out because mm-hmm. you don't share the exact beliefs as us but like you know and, and, and I think sometimes that might be asking too much because if you look at organized religion and how it survives it survives by through indoctrination and everything right so like, how do you have groups like that without now relinquishing this control over the narrative at the center of a particular kind of religious tradition no it's a very good point uh, I think sadly um to to bring it back to the modern day um we're now talking in October 2020 um and there have been some public intellectuals who have deemed the um such as John McWhorter uh the current uh, far left movement akin to a religion uh, in terms of the way it's operating and I wondered if you if you had any thoughts on that and maybe that's the way people are now trying to seek community in others but it replacing god with human rights well i mean you know so uh actually and before before you joined cast me and lucy were talking about our political kind of 
where I, I sit kind of center, center left. And I would say that like, you know, I've definitely in the past been far left and like I've moved more to the center now because I feel like skepticism is an important value for any kind of kind of moving forward in politics. So I try my best not to identify with any one side, but I certainly uh, try to apply skepticism to everything. Um, but to more to your point uh, or to your question, Lucy, I mean, yes, I think that there are some similarities between but I mean, it's it's got less to do with what direction on the political spectrum on you are, right? Whether it's far left or far right, or I mean, I don't know if you'd have the extreme center. That seems like an oxymoron. But I mean, <laughs> it's you know, like far left and far right really talks a lot about not just about extreme beliefs, but also about like how strictly you adhere to them, right? Like your willingness to question those things, right? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because how do you get from you know, quote unquote, far left, almost like in a religious sense to the center. Well, something happens that your rational part of your brain, which maybe you didn't always apply to your political beliefs, something happens that kind of calls that into question. And it's like once that first domino falls, it's very difficult to stop the rest of them falling because reason is something that humans, all humans do, right? So, I mean, Mm -hmm. to answer your question, like, I think that any particular ideology, whether it's political or religious or, 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 you know, no matter, no matter what it is, it, 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 the degree to which it resembles, I guess, traditional fundamentalist religious belief has to do with whether or not, you know, you can question it and whether or Mm -hmm. not that's okay. And whether or not you're cast out. So, I mean, like, if you look Mm -hmm. at some of the far, far left, like they, they will, there's so little tolerance for a diversity of opinion right? So like, it's like, if you don't follow the quote unquote party line, well, then you're the other, right? You know what I mean? Like uh, a good example is like, so I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I work for, uh, I work for the government. I'm a, a unionized employee. I'm a totally a union guy. I'm a local president of my local, that sort of thing. Like I'm totally an active activist that way. Right. But I mean, like in a lot of the, the union culture, there are quite a few very far left type of political opinions. And like I said, I'm more, a bit more centrist. I'm a bit more skeptical on some of those things. And I've talked to some union colleagues privately and I told, uh, for example, to bring it back to religion. I mean, like we, us in Canada, Canada doesn't really have an immigration problem or anything like that. So like, I don't, I I think people who get crazy about immigration in Canada are like, you know, they, they don't have a good understanding of what is not a very, not a very big risk for us. But I was talking to a union colleague, and and there was there was a politician in in a neighboring province that was going on about oh uh, uh, Muslim immigrants and worrying about them bringing their ideologies to Canada. And I mean, I said, listen, I agree. Canada does not, I don't think personally, have much to worry about in terms of like cultures like impending on overall good. Uh, uh, oh gosh, I don't want to say Western values. That's such a buzzword. I want to say that. Kind of a melting pot where we all have respect for each other's views and our beliefs come up against. Well, as soon as they come up against the rights of other people, well, that's where they need to stop, type of thing, right? That's I think what in Canada we we try to have, right? Because when your view now reflects on my personal well-being, I don't mean in a philosophical sense, but maybe in the sense of harassment or violence. That's where your rights to enact those beliefs stop, right? So. I said to my colleague, you know, I understand, I agree with you completely that this, you know, kind of local politician in his province uh, 
you know, her, her points of view on this are, are not really very good. Like, I agree. I mean, it's not a risk for Canada. However, I said the ideologies, not the people, the ideologies he speaks of uh, or that she speaks of the, in uh, the Islamic ideologies, I said, they do scare me. I said, they, they freak me out. Do I, am I worried that now we're going to have uh, a coup in Canada? Absolutely not. But I mean, like when you do hear sto- news stories of people coming and and you, you have like a, a FGM, female genital mutilation, there's, there's that kind of thing, not all across Canada, but like, you know, you're going to have isolated cases of honor mm-hmm. killings in Canada, that sort of thing. It happens, right? Yeah. That these are things, these are dangerous beliefs that we need to be able to criticize and 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 really kind of absolutely just say are wrong mm-hmm. without saying muslim people are are bad they're not uh, like they're most all the muslims i know are beautiful wonderful people mm-hmm. and i would say all of them except for the ones who are psychopaths just like every other race uh, or any other religion or any other creed on earth like they're they're probably they're good at their root. But the fact is, is what people, what people believe matters. And if we can't now say, well, we, if we can't criticize someone's belief for fearing of being called an Islamophobe, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, Islam is scary. I'm phobic of Islam, the religion of Islam. I have a serious problem with it. It scares the shit out of me. Oh, excuse my language. Sorry. (laughs) But it, it really does scare me. If you look at the details, and not the and not listen to apologists. If you look at the details and not listen to the apologists, you um, you can really get a feel for how scary not just Islam but many of these religions can be when interpreted funda- in a fundamentalist way. Mm-hmm. So if we have no way yep. to criticize the ideas without being cast as an Islamophobe or a racist or whatever. Well, then that means that the conversation goes away. And yes, that means agreed. that when you label, it's lazy. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. lazy. It's dismissive. I wonder, you brought up some amazing points and I'm loving having you here. I'm just like, we only have one episode. We'll have to maybe consider continuing this on because, oh my goodness. But you, I like what you said about... Um, how Canada operates, because I couldn't agree more as a melting pot, how the the problems and issues we tend to address urgently are the ones that rub up against other people, the fringes. But the problem with things like FGM and honor killings, those exist within a religion that is, that protects it. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that continues to convince people to, to continue to try to convince people that it doesn't happen or it doesn't exist. When in reality it does, like they're protecting themselves in the process because they realize like if this comes out, then we're really going to get demonized and rightfully so, right? So it's like everybody's agenda within that small, those these small niche pocket communities, um, they, they're protecting each other. Mm-hmm. So I do see that being a part of the issue. I do see that where that becomes very difficult to deal with because how how does one even begin mm-hmm. to, to create a legislation for something when everybody denies its existence in the first place that's a, um, something we're facing quite badly in very, the uk very um yes, you were just you shared something with me do you have any
Yes, yeah. So in the in the UK, there's a just just over eleven thousand cases of FGM, even more so of honor killing. And um, there has been a case which is uh, famously branded the Rotherham scandal, where um, there was a group of Pakistani men who um, basically um, took girls, mostly out of foster care, British girls, um, children, and basically made a grooming gang. Um, it's something I find really hard to talk about. So I'm going to try and like summarize it so I don't get emotional. But um, and, and and because they were Pakistani men, we couldn't talk about that culturally. And for that reason, the problem went ignored and more and more women, uh, children were being exploited. Uh, and that's kind of an example to take to your point, Terry, on how this is what it can look like in practice when we can't critique bad ideas. Right. And that's why I think it's so important for us to be able to say like, okay, listen, like, you know, there is a total, there's a total difference between uh, race and ideology. Right. And I mean, like, let's, let's be honest, right. Like, you know, race, someone's race can have an effect on their individual life experience. Right. I mean, like, like, you know, like when you, I'm not, if you get, Obviously, systemic racism is one thing, but what an individual experiences in their life only happens to that individual, right? So, like, you know, uh, but if you adhere to a particular ideology and a group shares that ideology, I mean, you're going to have kind of like that Sam Harris, uh, that Sam Harris uh, idea of concentric circles, right? You've got people who are more fundamentalist, less fundamentalist, et cetera, et cetera. But generally speaking, across that group, no matter what race you are, you share the same ideas, right? And then these ideas have power and we need to be able to extricate them from this idea that they're somehow connected. So yeah, like, like you need to like not stop the connection between ideologies and ideas and any, any inalienable characteristic, right? And we don't, we don't hear talking about people with all black hair or people with one with, with, who have big noses or people who are over six feet tall, right? Like, you know, you, you don't look at se- and then associate whatever ideas they have with that characteristic, right? I mean, eventually the idea is that we get to the point where we look at everybody's individual ideas on those merits alone, right? I mean, those ideas should stand up to scrutiny, you know what I mean, if they are based in, in fact and reality. So, I mean, you know, it shouldn't make a difference. It, like, you know, if this group of, if this gang of men or group of men is, is doing X, Y, and Z because of these ideas, we, we should be able to say, well, it's completely irrelevant what country they're from, because you can be a Muslim or you can, you can believe in Islam, no matter what country you're from, it doesn't make any difference or what color, the color of your skin is. And it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. So many of those ideas are bad. I don't care. You know, if you're white, if you're black or, or brown or, or, you know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. If you believe that it's okay to kill mm-hmm. your daughter after she's been raped, well, then that is a bad way to, to navigate the world. Like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, and we should be able to honestly. You shouldn't have to yeah, be like, sorry. We should, yeah. We should, we should be able to unequivocally say that in the West. Uh, and, 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 and then, and then say also name the religion that believes it, Islam. We should be able to say that mm-hmm. without being fear of being labeled an Islamophobe, even though I, I hate that word. I really hate it because it doesn't really get, I like, yeah. I prefer, if you're going to talk about bigotry and prejudice, I prefer anti-Muslim bigotry because that is awful. No, do not 
do not discriminate and hurt people because of their religious creed, but uh, rather prosecute them for their actions and certainly criticize them for those. You can criticize those people for their beliefs, but not for their identity mm-hmm. as, a, as a human. Like, you know, like, the, like that they're, mm-hmm. I would fundamentally believe there needs to be a separation. Yeah, I fundamentally believe that everybody is, re- everybody is redeemable. Um, I don't really believe in evil. So like, you know, if I believe that, I have to believe that we can connect across these ideological uh, divides so that we can make the world a better place. Agreed. Right? Yes, we share that belief. I wonder what's in this Canadian water. Uh, (laughs) We share that belief wholeheartedly. And thank you so much for your insights here. No, absolutely. I'm I'm especially um I'm especially a fan of your separating the, the human being from the religion. I think that's where, that's what needs to happen. Being able to criticize ideas, bad ideas, especially bad ideas is very important. So in my eyes, anti-theism is more about, it's not anti-anything as much as it is pro-open communication in my mind. You know what I mean? It could be like the same mm-hmm. side of a coin. Yeah. Like it's uh, Or I'd argue it's more just anti-dogma or anti-dogmatism. Would you, would you agree, Terry, frame it that way potentially? Well, I mean, like, I think, I think the pro, like, my view as a problem with anti-theism is that when you speak really strongly about the, I mean, like, obviously, if I was trying to, if I was engaging with one or both of you in an effort to, say, convince you to be, like, if you were both fundamentalist Christians, and I was trying to convince you to be less certain in that, that belief, me mm-hmm. saying, well, I just think that all the, all theistic religions are bad and wrong and it's the wrong way to look at the world. I'm not going to reach you, right? So the problem with the anti-theist focus is that mm-hmm. it doesn't, uh, it, it, again, it, it does obsess about the religion and, and maybe not rely, not focus as much on common humanity. So, I mean, I still have those beliefs about mm-hmm. theistic relief, as a belief, sorry. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that you know, you're right. It is kind of anti-dogma, but but really, it's just about getting kind of really looking at the theism and like whether or not this is a justifiable or maybe the best uh, best pathway to leading a good life. You know what I mean? Like overall, and mm. but, but being obsessed about those details doesn't really get you any anywhere. I mean, like if you're going to be an anti-theist, you've got to ask yourself the question, so what is my goal in the world? Is it just to be a cantankerous person that just goes around uh, <laughs> saying, Grumpy old man. like putting yeah. people's religions down while, while I think that people, while I personally think that there's, there's, you know, I wish people didn't get offended when I'm criticizing their ideas. The reality mm. is that's not how people work. And I mean, it's not how I yeah. work. I mean, whenever someone is criticized, no matter what, you do you, you do get this initial reaction of defense mechanisms coming up, right? This is just part of being human. So, like, how is it fair for me to say, okay, well, you've been devoting your whole life to fundamental to Christianity and what in whatever form it is you you do it, and then I come in at a left field and say well, this is wrong and this is wrong and I disagree because it's a bad way to live your life and, it's, and it harms society and it harms the world overall. Well, I haven't got that second sentence out of my mouth and this person's already dismissed me. So like from, yeah. from, a, from, yeah. a, from a discourse point of view, anti-theism isn't quite productive. It can certainly frame your point of view and how you, how you might want to make it, uh, some progress in a conversation with somebody, but it isn't 
always best to be at the forefront. For a long time, I did have it at the forefront. I'm going to tell you right now, like, I mean, I had plenty of friends, but they were always irritated with me. Uh, You know, like, (laughs) I was like that guy at the party who would like, you know, couldn't just talk about, uh, like, I I would always want to corner people and, and no, that sounds like kind of predatory, predatory, not like that. It's it's, it's like, I I would always seek out people who are interested in talking about something bigger or deeper. Right. And, and like yes. my conversational tactics were more about gotcha moments and more about, mm-hmm. And it, opportunistic yeah and when people are drinking they're not you know i'm not saying i make any sense but certainly i make a lot less sense when i'm drinking but but uh, you know like when you know <laughs> when they're trying to make a point and they're trying to defend what they believe or they don't believe or whatever then uh, you know certainly it becomes when there's alcohol involved there's plenty of opportunity for gotcha moments and that doesn't make me uh, yeah. someone who wants to be invited back to parties sometimes you know what i mean so like uh, yeah but now no. i take a much more compassionate view and I've had some of an, what of an yes. evolution in my own kind of spiritual journey, which has really affected my, my mm-hmm. framing of the issues for sure. Absolutely. And this is actually why we wanted um, you in particular on the podcast, Terry, because we, we have a lot of, you know, there is one thing being, being atheist and sort of having the consideration of those views, but there's another thing to be compassionate about it and the methodology in which you use to, try and change people's minds or to inspire them to do so is is important and i think that's missed out of modern discourse even with someone like my hero sam harris sometimes i i don't i don't feel like he's the most compassionate that he could be to change the maximum amount of minds he could possibly do i think the idea of changing someone's mind through a conversation is religious it's like it's exactly what religion has been it's exactly how it caught fire in the first place i think this belief this like quote unquote god complex that like my mm-hmm. my wisdom at this moment will erase your entire life of beliefs with one conversation like I don't think it's realistic and uh that's the first thing I wanted to the the purpose is quite different from from actually actively wanting to go against everything that anyone's ever believed in and planting a little seed for them to speculate on themselves exactly that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at That's why I believe that compassion is probably the best approach, especially because it's easier to quote unquote attack. It's like more of a sneak attack when the guards are down, right? There's no guards. So you're just walking into the castle here. Um, So if your intention is to change a mind, you're going to fail because you can't. You can't go into anything with that intention. And something I've I've learned um, with my with my history of my background, I've I've, I've worked for the government. I've, I was the one in HR giving you know conflict resolution workshops. That's me, and um, and I think that one of the biggest reasons why human beings have that reaction to put their guards up right away when they receive any kind of criticism is rooted in their their deep belief that you don't understand and you, that you can't possibly understand mm-hmm. because how can you understand if you can refute me this harshly? You know what I mean? So a mm-hmm. great approach that is rooted in compassion is, is when that starts with like, when help me understand, even if you think you understand, be open mm-hmm. to trying to understand it from their perspective. When help me understand when you lead an, an, um, 
a discussion like that, I think there's a difference there. So they'll explain, you'll confirm, you'll, you'll ask questions, they'll continue to explain. And then you can start with the little nuggets, like start chipping away, like, what about this here? There's a little, uh, you know, and, and, and um, All About Love Bell Hooks talks a lot about that, about bringing love and compassion back to the root of politics, to the root of, of, of the way in which we operate this world, because there's something to be said about how much love has the power to inspire real change as opposed to anything else. Everything else makes us put our guard down. You're doubling your workload. Now you're going to have to fight all the guards before getting into that castle, that mind castle. Sorry about the analogy. Oh, it's great. It's 6 a.m. But <laughs> um, I love what, what you're saying here. And it's very, very important. And I really wanted to make sure I, I, I drive that point home because that's that's beautiful. You're, I'm so glad you're here again. <laughs> well, thank you. I think Cass is now your biggest <laughs> fan. Um, uh, <laughs> I thought it was me, but now oh, it's been uh, taken. No, no. If, my, if, 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 if Adriana, my wife, was here, she'd say, you don't need to inflate his ego anymore. Don't give him this many compliments. <laughs> feel free to edit the, compl- feel free to the, edit the compliments out. Um, uh, oh, no, no. We're just, we're just grateful to have you here. But what, what practical advice would you give our listeners on how to do that? Because I think a lot of people, especially the listeners of our podcast, they want to get better at having these conversations, but they know just how hard it is. You know, that, that, that physical discomfort you feel when you get cognitive dissonance and it just kind of comes all the way up your bones. It's just there. How can you listen to someone else who in your mind is saying something so ridiculous? Like, do you have any practical wisdom on that? from your journey and what so, you've learned? I mean, I, you know, it's, it's definitely nothing original or new to me, but I would say there's a two-pronged approach to it. There's kind of a pragmatic approach to it and also personal approach to it. So I kind of, I'll start with the pragmatic approach because it's fairly direct and, and obvious that like, it, it, you know, and I agree. And I, and I think what a, the point that Cass made was excellent, which is that you had to be genuinely curious about why people believe things. You had to be genuinely curious about if you're doing it just for the purpose of having an argument and having the banter. I mean, there's a time and place for that. If you know the person and you have a rapport with them, right? And you're okay with the, with mm-hmm. the banter, right? And no one's going to take anything. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows, okay, listen, when we cross this line, we're going to stop the, there or we can, we can engage in kind of a good faith kind of like back and forth and everyone's got an open mind and, it's, and anything's fair game. That's one thing. But if you're going to talk about trying to con- connect with people and not change their minds, but instill that little seed of doubt, then you need to have systematic strategies. So like I would recommend, there's two books in particular that I would recommend for people to read. Uh, the first one uh, is uh, by uh, uh, Peter Bogosian and it's called A Manual for Creating Atheists. Don't be put off by the title. It's really just about how encouraging people to have critical thought and to not be so absolute and dogmatic in their beliefs. And it gives you systematic strategies and examples of what to do, what not to do, real life examples of how the author tried to do something and it blew back in his face. And, and certainly there is a, uh, an element of actually saying, listen, you're going to engage with somebody. You need to make sure that you're interested and that you care and that you show them that you care. Right. And then the second book mm-hmm. is um, How to Have Impossible Conversations, also written by Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay. 
Um, uh, and uh, it's also a really good book. And again, like I'm about halfway through it now. Um, uh, and it's a really, really good, solid, specific step-by-step -step strategies on how to have very difficult conversations and, and with the goal to either change, either have your own doubt instilled. So it's not just about the other person. It's also about recognizing your own biases and your own blind spots. And then also recognizing, or sorry, being able to ask questions and use the Socratic method in a way to get those people, to, get other people to, uh, to question their own beliefs and kind of come to maybe a, try to uh, converge on some sort of shared common understanding of what's true. So that's the pragmatic side. From a personal side, I'd have to say that, like, you know, I, I'm not, again, like, you know, I, I spend a bit of time, I read Sam Harris's Waking Up book, and he, and I've read a lot of books on Eastern, Eastern religions about uh, yoga and Buddhism, and I've read quite a bit, a lot of it, uh, as a skeptic, reading with a skeptical eye, a lot of it is just like, holy cow, like some of this is kind of weird. But there's a common thread through many of these philosophies, which is that, like, first of all, these are not things to believe, they're things to do. Uh, these, like, the, the, um, spending time being introspective, spending time taking a hard look at what your own motivations are. I mean, these are things that are, we're often completely blind to, what the actual reasons why we're asking a question, the actual reasons we're arguing with somebody. Um, we like to think we tell ourselves a lot of stories about why that is, but the truth is, is that we need to do the introspective work to actually kind of bring those connections together in your own mind. I mean, like, mm -hmm. I've certainly had... Like, why are you asking in the first place? Exactly. I mean, like, I've certainly spent quite a bit of time on the meditation cushion in the last seven or eight years. Um, I've never been on a retreat or anything. And I certainly wouldn't call myself a Buddhist, but I would tell you that like the time I've spent there has, it's not about the time on the cushion. It's about the effects it has in your real life. Because when you take the time to observe your mind and your thoughts and your feelings and get that distance from it, rather than being kind of lost in the stupor of it, as you stumble through your day, you start to wake up out of it during your day too. So, I mean, like, just as an example, of the practical benefit of something like mindfulness meditation. Um, I can remember a few months after I started doing it in earnest, like, you know, every couple has their spats and like ups and downs and like one person says one thing and triggers the other, like, you know what I mean? Like this is just part of a relationship. Yes. I can remember mm -hmm. sitting there and sitting on the couch with, with, with my wife and watching TV and she said something and like, I noticed that something she says, something that I would normally then that would cause me to get defensive or react. But instead of just reacting, I noticed that this feeling in my stomach, there was a stomach feeling, there was like a tension mm -hmm. in my hands and in my legs. And then the thoughts start bubbling up. And like, you know, it's not as if you become enlightened and now you never react. I mean, like it's, by practicing these things, it's like saying, well, I work out, so I'm never going to physically hurt myself or something. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. <laughs> when you train your mind, it's the same thing yeah. as training your body, right? You know what I mean? Like you, yeah, you get absolutely. better at something. It's an, Go ahead. Sorry. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing. Yeah. It, 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely is. And you can sense that that progression the more you, more you do it. And then you learn to sort of respond instead of react. And I think that that's a really different thing that you can get out of mindfulness. Um, I'm like you, I don't like to put like a, a label or attach myself as Buddhist or anything like that. I think labels in general are quite, are quite um, limiting. Yes. And um, even the scientific benefits, the neurological benefits, the brain science behind meditation and, and how it associates with the gray matter in our brain and brain plasticity and your openness to thoughts is incredible. I think, um, you know, I was going to say if science was a religion, but I'm pretty sure it is. Isn't Scientology a thing? Scientology is not a religion. Okay, that's a debate for a different day. But there are benefits. There are real benefits there. And I love that you said that you said that because I too meditate and a lot and um, and respond that don't react is written actually right above the screen here because it's been my mantra for the past decade. Um, as a reactive, passionate person, sometimes I just, like a little bit of road rage was like, you know, I had to really work on myself. I had to really learn some, some new habits because the ones that were, were, you know, built in, seemed built in or were preconditioned or conditioned at a young enough age. Um, yeah. they, they weren't serving me in life. They, they were starting to I was starting to like resent myself for having them. So when you have that divide within thyself, meditation is definitely my go-to. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's built into to re- certain religions obviously made me curious. But you're right. When you do look a little closely, a little more closely, it's not that simple. Yeah. It's not. There's a there's weirdness in every single religion, and and I think that's exactly. that weirdness is is rooted within our, ourselves as imperfect human beings. Like if if yeah, we can't, absolutely. if we are not perfect, how can there be a perfect religion? How, and, can, they, how can they? Yeah, and I just there's the something. There's a point that that really kind of came home to me, and 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 like the last like ten years or so since I've been studying Buddhism and the Eastern philosophies a little bit, and kind of you know, kind of my personal journey journey has shifted. Was because before, like, and I still hold a belief, like religious beliefs that make claims. It's all about the claims they make, right? I mean, like. You know, I could make uh, I could make up a religion on the spot right now. Like I think uh, I think I'm kind of quoting Sam Harris here. That would that could be more consistently good across all its uh, subsets of beliefs. I'd just leave out all the. This is essentially what anybody who is like a, what I would call like a cafeteria Christian. They're coming along saying, no, "I'm not going to have any of that. I'm going to have some of this and some of this and some of this." I mean, it essentially shows that you know people, I love that. people's source of of morality isn't generally speaking uh one book it's something that they you know there's inputs from the outside and then they make their only own moral judgments about what to leave or not to leave or of course they may have like a cleric of some kind telling them oh well this this part is a is a is a uh a metaphor and this part is to be taken literally they have some sort of interpreter but but the point i was trying to get at is that i used to kind of be extremely cynical about this and then as I studied more psychology, and as I mentioned, my wife's a counselor, so she's done a lot of education on psychology, and I've understood it well, and, and learning through Eastern philosophies, I think I've come to realize that, like, while I might feel that the particulars of any given, uh, like, religion in terms of their rituals, in terms of their specific, say, rules that people need to follow, they're all kind of equally false. 
in some way. But what's equally true about all of them is that they do provide some outlet or connection um, for humans. I mean, so we're all humans mm-hmm. and we're all seeking this greater meaning. We're all seeking, seeking these peak experiences of self-transcendence and, and you know, like, um, oh gosh, what's does it, and, uh, love and, and, and compassion and without strength. Mm-hmm. These are all things that we seek. And certainly, you know, not to be too, we've got nuts and bolts about it. These are states of the brain. The fact that people reach these states yes. through all of these different ideological pathways doesn't change the fact that this is a capability of the human mind. And there's something mm-hmm. beautiful to mm-hmm. be seen there. There's something to say, well, hold on now. If all these humans are capable of achieving this sense of calm, the sense of connection with the world, then does it really matter? I mean, really what we believe or don't believe. And then it becomes an issue of, well, hold on now. So maybe we should look at the parts of what we believe and, 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 and the parts that hurt others or the parts that really have no bearing on that feeling then it's easier to move away from them. And bringing that message mm-hmm. of coming together yes. and the compassion is a more, is a more, is a, is a, in my opinion, a, a, like a beautiful message that people can relate to rather mm-hmm. than getting caught in yes. the details yeah. of, well, your religion believes this and my religion believes this. Well, but you know, we're bo- both religions have the goal of a higher consciousness. And I don't mean that in a in in, yes, a, that, in this quasi spiritual you know making any statements about the universe type of way. Like I'm I'm careful to say, any form of spiritualism. You can't see that I'm doing the scare quotes. Right? <laughs> this is only audio, right? So I'm doing the any form <laughs> of spiritualism, in my opinion, um, that is <clears throat> kind of wholeheartedly, you know, kind of based in reality, cannot make any claim that would not be uh, at least borne out by the science like it would have to be by definition compatible with science for me to believe it and if it made claims that were not so outrageous that they you know my whole like science certain things in science had to be turned over but they can't be verified then like it's kind of like saying like i'm really agnostic about the afterlife i mean what how do i know what what role consciousness plays in the universe like I'm not that I'm not mm-hmm. that uh, full of myself to think that I know that what happens after death, you know what I mean? But based on what I understand mm-hmm. about the world and studied about, I have no reason to believe that I'm going to meet Yahweh. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's certainly no reason for me to believe that. <laughs> but could I say that I know for certain that when I die, I just, that's it. My consciousness doesn't go anywhere else. I mean, Consciousness is one of the biggest things we don't understand in science right now. So how could I make any claim about that? Yes. It's like philosophical. Absolutely. It's like René Descartes, isn't it? Isn't he the one? Yeah. You what? Know, that said? About, about believing. He said, you can spend your entire life believing and in the end find out it isn't true. But you've spent like a good life, like living and righteously and rightfully. Mm. Or you can spend your whole life not believing and die and, and then find out it was true but you'd spent mm-hmm. your life in the, on the wrong side of that equation and now you're going to suffer for it. So even as far as 
you know, like those two possibilities, if those are the only two options, um, he, he said, believing in something is better than not believing in something in the end, just in case you happen to be right, you know? <laughs> That small sliver of possibility <laughs> is always there. Absolutely. That and I think that's a that's a really beautiful way to conclu- conclude. Thank you so much for coming on, Terry. We have absolutely loved picking your brain on this. Um, we just thought we would conclude on, on um, you've kind of already covered it there, but like the, the direction you'd like to see society going in. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. And like, I just love the discussion. And if you couldn't tell, I can go on and on and on like, you know, I, if you ever want, we're going to have you back. Don't if worry. If you want to have me back, absolutely. Send me regular. I'll do it. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I have opinions <laughs> about everything and certainly they're not all valid, but like, uh, I'll, uh, yes. I just love the engagement and like, I just want to take the time to give a really sincere compliment to you guys because it, 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 it it's, the, the podcasts I've listened to have been fantastic. The last one I listened to was the privilege one. And I don't know that I've heard two people have such a nuanced and yet compassionate discussion about privilege. It was really beautiful. Oh, thank you. And, thank um, you. you know, you're, it's, 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 we need more, more of this going on. Um, and, you know, good on you for doing it. Like that's just, it's just great. And I'm, I have to, uh, I'm, I'm really eager to hear the second part of, uh, part two of the first, uh, the first podcast. Uh, I'm hoping that'll come out sometime soon too. Police brutality. Yes. 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 We've got that coming out. Hopefully at a more appropriate time, we have to kind of be careful because currently America is, um, how I'm do I phrase fire. this? A, ma- a mess? <laughs> it's imploding. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. It's yes. imploding. <laughs> on itself so you know that one will be released when it's kind of a less inflammatory time because we do think it's important you know to have these discussions but also at a time when it's emotionally appropriate to people who might be suffering yeah just like a religious debate we have to be mindful at the time the place the context but thank you so much for for saying that that really you know reinvigorates our, our will to continue you're welcome. You've Absolutely. Been Thank care. you so much. Thanks. Thank you.